Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hello everybody and welcome to Blue Murder Club. My name is Carrie and I'm one half of Blue Murder Club and this evening I'm accompanied as ever by my co-host and my very good friend Lauren. Hello, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Getting over the glorious weather. Poxy snowing, case. <laughs> I know, we do, we're doing this in our coats, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, all um, snuggled up. Yeah, yeah, he's got he's a cold one today, definitely. But yeah, yeah, I'm all right, thank you. Are you all yes. right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, all good, thank you. Oh, smashing, smashing. It's uh, 2024. Dun, dun, dun! <laughs> and I was listening to the radio today and I couldn't find anything that I fancied and I had this show they recorded at the weekend which was from 2000 like music from 2004 mm-hmm. and then they were like so this is music from 20 years ago you know <gasps> you're like behave stop it like how is that like, you know that jay-z song 99 problems oh my 20 God. years old this year like literally things that i think are still pretty current i actually like jesus christ old. i feel so old guys it's mental so yeah that made me feel really old <laughs> i feel bad for your son i've got 99 problems <laughs> yeah 99 problems and 20 years ain't one. Oh no so yeah um but yeah it's all right so yeah so. jeez louise yeah that's tough decent yeah so yeah, we're 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 in the thick of our latest series, aren't we, Bloody Britain? Bloody Britain. <laughs> we're spot for choice, really. There's a hell of a lot of deviants in the UK. I know. And <laughs> to be fair, the more we pick off, I'm like, oh, how about that one yeah. as well? And that one, I get very excited. I know we're running out of spaces, aren't we? Yeah. So um, I think you said we did a poll, didn't we? So we're going to do yeah. um, Dennis Nielsen, aren't we, for the series finale? Yeah. And obviously we've got oh, today's Dennis. case, and then yep. a couple more spots to fill, but. They're up for negotiation, I think, because yeah. there's so many good ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, do you want to tell our listeners what our case is today? Sure thing. We're going with Roll Moat. Yep, Roll Moat. Roll Moat. Britain's biggest manhunt, wasn't it? Yeah. Is it a spree or is it a... I think he's a spree. I think he is. He definitely was a spree. I remember this. This is one of the cases, only the one that mm. I remember, because my memory is shockingly shit. 
I remember this happening. I remember watching the telly. Yeah. And just thinking, Jesus Christ, what on earth's <laughs> going on? I remember it happening, but I don't. I didn't pay any attention. But my husband was talking about it, and he was like, "Oh my God, Gazza's just rocked yes! up." Yes, chicken. Yeah, with a bucket of KFC. Yes! And then I was like, "What's going on here? This is weird." So it does crack me up. Yeah, so this this whole uh, this case has got <laughs> no answers really. Yeah, we're not going to struggle for levity in it anyway, no, are we? Because there's not. a couple of bits which you you're like. God, you couldn't make it up. No. What is and going on? And you know what on? I like as well? How good this was recorded. Because it's recent. <clears throat> yeah. And like, we hit on Facebook, I do a few times and stuff like that. Mm. And I think to myself, it's so recent. Like, you can relate to it a bit more, you know? Mm. Yeah, a lot of our cases we've done have been quite old ones, haven't they? Yeah. Recently, so. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. Yeah, this is at least in the right in this century. Yeah, in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So yeah, Raoul Thomas Moat, Britain's biggest manhunt, wasn't it? Yeah. So um, so yeah, it was a like you say, a bit of a spree all over the news. It felt like it was a blow by blow, like live. Even action some, film yeah. yeah live sort of like what do you, you know 24 when 24 come out what did they call that ah uh, i know what I you mean i think what the word is but it was literally just like up to the second minute footage, by minute. wasn't it mm-hmm. yeah so, breaking news yeah um a bit like uh what's his name with the glove who killed his wife in america oj simpson and the yeah. bronco because yeah, that was a ba- that was hunt. Yeah. live as well yeah. wasn't it on all the news channels yeah yeah it was actually yeah you're right so, shall we get started? Yeah, let's get cracking. I'm going to cover the first half and then you're going to take over from there. So buckle up, buttercup, have we got a story for you? <laughs> Off we go. So, there was a guy called Peter Blake and he was a council worker originally from Birmingham. And I mean, he moved... You did an accent then, I did. <laughs> uh, my brother-in-law's from Birmingham, so whenever I start, I go, Birmingham. Every time. I'm so sorry. I really tried oh, not to. So funny. 
<laughs> so we moved to Newcastle and that's where we met Josephine Moat. She already had a son from a previous relationship and it was a boy called Angus Moat and she had him in 1970. Joseph, Josephine's family came from money, however their fortune had diminished. She was known as a bit of a hippie and um, she refused to tell her family anything about Angus's father. They had a world wind relationship, I'm so sorry, and they lived in the idyllic village of Long Horsley. Josephine was diagnosed with bipolar and this led to the breakdown of the relationship. Josephine, Josephine, I'm so sorry, that name. Um, she was pregnant with Raul, but after a series of rows, Peter was kicked out. And he said, I was devastated because I thought we were going to be a family. She never let me see him. So she gave birth to Raul on the 17th of June, 1973. She rejected all contact from Peter, so Raul never met him. And growing up, Raoul made up a fantasy life of being fathered by a Frenchman. And he had moved from um, France to England before uh, primary school. And that he could only, he didn't know the English language. So this is all a fantasy in his head he's built up. Who's head? Raoul's. So he made up, oh. yeah, this little fantasy lie that yeah. he was fathered by a Frenchman. And he yeah. moved from France to the UK. <clears throat> Do you think that came because his name is a French name? Yes, I mm. think so. Well, but, I looked into that as well. So did you, yeah. didn't you? <clears throat> what did you find? Well, Raoul is um, the French version of Rudolph. Mm -hmm. So it's like a... Yeah, so I can see why he probably thought, this is a bloody weird name. Where does it come from? Found out it's French and made up this little story to yeah. himself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Is so. it Rudolph or Randolph? It's Randolph. What, what, that yeah. kind of thing, isn't yeah. it? It's that, it's it would have been a lot easier than Raoul. Raoul. <laughs> It is an unusual name. Mind you, my daughter's got a friend called Growl. Oh, really? Yeah, and whenever she mentions him, I always want to growl. I don't know. Grr, you know yeah, like, growl, it's got that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of, I suppose it rounds with growl, doesn't it? Yeah. It's such an unusual name. Yeah. So, because um, so, she was a single mother now and money was tight, she had to move from the village to a deprived area of Newcastle's West End, Rotherham. So... With Josephine's mum down a few streets, Roll states that one of his early memories was watching his mum burning all of his toys when she was in a rage. She was struggling with money and her mental health. She used to come out with religious sayings and damn them all. She used to tell him that he was going to be a prince and have crowns. Um, the boys went to live with their grandmother down the road when Roll was about seven years old. Angus and his brother were virtually inseparable. They saw little of their mum but tried desperately to find out the identity of both of their fathers because she was so tight-lipped. It was such a secret thing that, that she didn't want them knowing about their dads. It's pretty controlling, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really was. And I think that has a lot of play to this, you know? Yeah, because he so, grew up to be a control freak. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. can see why, can't you, a bit of a pattern. Yeah. So she, the mum, would Josephine, would mock them. She had a real lack of maternal affection towards them, and despite their troubled family setup, Angus said his brother was always an outgoing, fun-loving lad with lots of friends. This is quoted from him, Angus. My grandmother was the stabilising influence in our lives, but both Roe and I took it in our stride. He was very outdoorsy. He liked to go out and play. He liked wildlife. There was nothing out of the ordinary about him. 
Later in life, Angus finds his dad, but Rolf still couldn't find out his father. So they would go on caravan holidays with their grandparents. So they had quite a settled life with their grandparents, but mm. the mum does play a bit of an antagonizer in their life. Mm. So the mum Josephine moves in, uh, moved a new partner, a Brian Healy, in. Bro also stated he suffered from nightmares with a monster chasing him down his street. He was known to commit animal cruelty and arson. A childhood friend, Tony Lader, said, We knocked around together since I was about three. He was just a normal lad and a proper lad who was into motorbikes and stuff. We was always out catching frogs and whatever. He was brought up by his gran and he only saw his mum at Christmas. Ma'am, he's real. Mm. <laughs> when she came over with presents every Christmas. Um, so both boys, Angus and Roll, both attended the scouts the, and the army cadets. He was average at school and he kept his head down. At the age of 13 in 1986, Josephine marries Brian and both brothers was in attendance. So he goes on to leave school at age 16 with five GCSEs and starts to go to karate. I think... <laughs> you said karate. I know, because I think of Roskella every time. <laughs> Unagi. Unagi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> karate. Karate. So he begins to build uh, muscle in his body and becomes a bit obsessed by it. And this is where he gets into bodybuilding. He starts to take steroids. Here we go. Roid rage. Oh, point. Mm. Here we go. <laughs> So when his grandmother died um, was when things started to turn for him. His brother was at uni and he felt he had no one. He completely shut down and shut everybody out. He was known to have a terrible temper, which the roids made worse. He was unpredictable. When Angus returns from his studies, he said he could barely recognise his brother. By the age of 19, he worked at a local factory and by his early 20s, Roel meets Yvette Foreman. She was from a town called Rothbury and they would go camping and fishing there nearly every weekend. And she said he styled his blonde hair, he dyed his hair blonde because he was ginger before that, mm. with braids and beads, <laughs> which I thought was quite cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, by this time, his relationship with his mum got worse and at, by the age of 24, he left her um, with no contact for the next 10 years. And then when he did turn up on her doorstep in 2007... He made a gun gesture with his hands and threatened to kill her. Now, that's her saying that, so mm -hmm. we don't know the truth of the matter of there. Yeah. So he met Caroline Dodd and started a relationship with her, and she fell pregnant quite quickly. But she was rushed to a safe house by police for her own protection against Ralph. He went on to have another child with her, and she described the horrific abuse she suffered from him, including rape. He was extremely controlling and possessive. The highly volatile role had many domestic abuse complaints against him, mostly from neighbours. He had left one daughter out in the cold when she was only a toddler, in the freezing cold, should I say, with a bib, round her neck, and Roel had wrote on it, I'm here because I've been cheeky to daddy. No way, really? Isn't that awful? Oh, my God. He's an arsehole. And there's another report with a daughter who was two at the time, had mysteriously fell 35 feet from a window. Mm. Raoul claimed it was because the local council property didn't have safety locks on the window. She was okay, but she suffered with severe bruising. Oh, poor thing. I think he done it between me and you. Have I read into that to prove a point? Because he was... He was 
gearing up to the council because he wanted new windows. Oh, yeah. And so the way to get new windows, because and that was his way of getting new windows, was to say they had no safety locks. Mm. So I think he'd done it to prove a point. Yeah. But it's all speculation, obviously. Why does he buy his own fucking locks? Because he's cunt. Sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> you can tell my love of the man. <laughs> so... He becomes a bouncer and a doorman while bodybuilding. He stood at six three to uh, six foot three, and was seventeen and a half stone. At some point, he's pulled over and found with an arsenal of weapons, but the course case failed against him. Was that the time that they pulled him over and he had a samurai sword? Yeah, samurai. I can't say it either. Samurai sword. Samurai, samurai sword <laughs> and <laughs> knuckle dusters. dusters yeah. yeah, I mean, what the hell? I know that's pretty serious. It, I know, but he all got. Turned against the... He got thrown out. Yeah, thrown yeah, out, sorry. Perhaps, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he had been arrested over 12 times and throughout the police was at... Uh, and thought, sorry, that the police were out to get him. He had paranoia over the police and he had CCTV put up all over his house to watch where the police were coming f- like, from and coming to get him. He's completely unhinged about this police business. <clears throat> Excuse me. While he was working as a bouncer, he met a younger man who went by the name Gurun Awan. Steve, um, so Gurun, sorry, really looked up to Row in every sense of the word. He became a bouncer and got into bodybuilding and steroid taking. In 2004, Row meets Samantha when he was a bouncer at Liquid Nightclub at New- in Newcastle. He was in his early 30s and the domestic abuse continued with his new partner, Sam. One time she had put on Facebook that she was going out with some friends and he saw the post and went absolutely mad, Kaz. <clears throat> He's grabbed a gun and made his way over to Sam's parents' house where she was living and held her and the parents captive for over two hours. He had also previously smashed the windows of their home in a rage over the daughter. It's fucking nuts, right? That, but wouldn't your mum and dad say, you know what? Don't see him anymore. I think they did. Huh? <laughs> I think they did say that. Yeah. So it was speculated by friends of Roll. So that guy who I spoke to before, <laughs> Tony, he, this is what he had to say, that Roll had been unfairly harassed by police during his time as a doorman. And that was something contributed. I can't say I'm so sorry. Contributed. That's the one. <laughs> to his hatred towards the authorities. They stated that it started to really get to him. He always used to rub his face when he got stressed and wherever I went round there, he was sitting on the sofa rubbing his face. Mm. So I can imagine him just sitting there like just rubbing getting his angry, face. Yeah, getting rage, yeah. yeah. So I've just read, mm. I call bullshit. He was dangerous. So Romo quits his job as a bouncer just after meeting Sam and starts his tree surgery business and it was called Mr. Trimmit. Oh, God. Mr. Trimmit. Okay. Yeah, their relationship was on enough throughout the six years of being together. He still had regular run-ins with the police, mostly over his range against women. Rowe and Sam got go on to have a child and called Chanel in 2007. So he was so paranoid about the police at this point, he starts to sleep with an axe and a crossbow stashed beneath his bed. And he watches the CCTV footage of passers-by outside his home compulsively. He's just on in edge, you know. He's Quite paranoid, yeah, isn't he? Mm. Yeah, but I think steroids do that, don't they? Yeah. 
So experts say he was a paranoid, suspicious, mistrustful of authority figures and blamed other people for his misfortune, but was not mentally ill. We'll see. So, Rolmo's shooting spree begins two days after he was released from Durham Prison, where he served an 18-week sentence for assaulting his child. While he was away, his, guilt, uh, his friend Garona Wan and Carl Ness runs his business for him. Yeah. I tried to look around about a bit more about that conviction and there's nothing I could find. No. Except it was a nine year old child a nine year old family member. Yeah. I um, think it was Was it one of his kids? I think so. That yeah. Yeah, yeah. I tried it my hardest to dig up I the just dirt on him. What had happened. Yeah. But like you say, if he if at age two he was already manhandling them, mm-hmm. then by the time they're nine he probably was knocking them around. Yeah. So I also read reports but it's it's reported that so you can't conclusively say that he fathered another three or four children with different women yeah but i can't see how old they are or anything no i can't see anything yeah some of the girls some of the daughters are online they're giving interviews and stuff so to be honest i wasn't i didn't do the maths i don't know whether that's the girl or not but um oh bless them yeah nine years old though i know awful isn't it and he got like he only got 18 weeks yeah Weird, isn't it? Well, if he's already threw one daughter out of a window and put the other one in the freezing cold, yeah, at two years old, he's, uh, yeah, he's a, feels lenient to me. Yeah, he does me. Mm. Does me. Oh, so, so well, sorry. <laughs> one week prior to his release, Sam has called him in prison to break things off. Enough was enough. Sam was petrified of him coming home and the abuse she had suffered at his hands. She told him that she had met another man and his name was Chris Brown and that he was a police officer. <clears throat> so we know that this is a lie and the reason why she said it was to protect herself and Chanel from role when in fact Chris Brown was a karate instructor. <laughs> they had only got together a week prior. As you can imagine, role goes mad at this. He tells Sam that she would be one of his first visits when he got out. Roll then goes on to tell fellow prisoners and prison officers that he had nothing to live for and made threats and planning revenge. So that, in my head, he is literally like, woe me, woe me, I'm the victim. He he can't handle Sam having her own life. He can't. I know you didn't mention it about when they met, but she was 16 when they met and he was 31 yeah so that goes to show how much he must have controlled her all of her life bless her because a 16 year old can't stand up to a 31 year old no definitely not um but yeah and he's a big old 31 year old yeah and as soon as he's in jail she sees her opportunity to get free of him yeah yeah i can understand why she's done it and I think, I don't know about their rela- her relationship with Chris Brown, but I believe she's just looking for someone to protect her against him so she doesn't get back into that relationship. Yeah, she probably just wants to be happy, doesn't yeah. she, and safe. And Yeah. But I think um, he got one of, one of his mates to spy on her while yeah. he was in jail as well. Yeah, I've got that. <laughs> so he calls his two friends, Colness and Garam Awan, and they begin to make plans for when he's released. Cole was Roll's eyes while in prison. He spied on Sam and even went down her bins. Fucking terrible, wasn't it? He reported everything back to Roll. So he's released from prison Thursday the 1st of July 2010. He's um, still in a blind fury over Sam and Chris. He has a com- conversation with a friend on Facebook telling him that he's lost everything Um And he's even lost his missus to a copper. 
as they haven't fucked his life over the years. So he's just fuming and fuming that he's a copper especially. But she said that because she thinks it's going to protect her. Mm. I get it. <clears throat> the friend said he seemed really unhinged. <clears throat> he was um, questioning everything in life. On Friday the 2nd of um, July, Durham Prison warned North Umbria Police that Moat may intend to cause serious harm to his former partner, Sam. He tries to phone Sam, but there was no answer. Cole manages to secure a gun for Roll. Sam, meanwhile, is making plans with Chris for a date. She got her mum, Leslie, and their friend, Jacqueline Wilkinson, to babysit. She drops Chanel off at the Wilkinson's house, which is two doors down from Leslie and Paul, which are Sam's parents. And off they went to a local pub. So, Roll tries her mobile and could hear the busy pub in the background, and this made him absolutely rage. Sam was so scared, she cut the date short. She went to pick up Chanel with Chris in tow. But with Chanel already asleep with Jacqueline's kids upstairs, they decide to stay along with Leslie, Sam's mum. Raoul phones Leslie to see if she knows where Sam is and Leslie tells him to leave Sam alone And Sam sees, uh, as Sam has found someone else. So by early hours of um, Saturday the 3rd, Rose finally hunted Sam down. He had a phone call with Jacqueline's husband to see where his child was and he had just come out with it. I think it accidentally that Sam and Chris was also there. So he's just livid. He's building, building. This thing's just escalating now. And Moat starts accusing the husband, Jacqueline's husband, of having an affair with Sam as well. Mm. So he's just going <laughs> off the edge, isn't he? Yeah. So Raoul posts the Facebook status with the prediction of what is to come. And in the early hours of the morning, with a shotgun to hand, Raoul Moat rocks up to the Wilkinson's house. Cole had driven him there in a stolen white transit van. Moat hides, uh, hides beneath the window for an hour and he states that he could hear them laughing and chatting and just basically taking the piss out of him. And at 2.40, Chris was getting ready to leave. He puts on his coat and Sam walks Chris to the car. So they just go down the little pathway by the gate. And they had no idea lying in wait was Roll and his gun. They get to the gate from the house and the house was situated in Schoolfield. Mm -hmm. And it was like a little cul-de-sac. So there's a reason I'm saying that. So Sam sees something moon out of the corner of her eye and she realises it's smoke. She shouts it's Roll and Chris jumps is in front of her while Roll fires the first shot, which strikes Chris in the chest and knocks Sam off her feet. She gets up and runs straight back in the house. Chris then turns to run and he's shot again in the back. Moat then drags Chris to a patch of grass and then opposite, so because I mentioned it was a cul-de-sac, um, there's a house directly opposite this house. Um... There's a young boy witnessing all this. He hears the shots, comes out his front door and he's watching this come out. And Mo notices him and just turns and points the gun at him. But out of the corner of his eye, he sees Chris move and then he shoots him point blank in the head, killing him yeah. straight dead. So while this is happening, Leslie runs straight upstairs to the mum or the nan to the kids Um and she makes them go into the act and stay there. And she says, stay quiet, don't move, stay there, stay there. Stan tries to lock the door and Jacqueline calls 999 to report the attack. 
Sam looks out the window while Jacqueline is on the phone to see if Chris is okay. Moat then fires for the fourth time through the window, sending the glass flying. She was hitting her left arm and her chest. She falls to the floor. Then there's another shot fired. Jacqueline, in a panic that Moat will fire again, drags Sam away from view. She sees Moat look through the hole of the window and then flees. Leslie was screaming and Paul heard her. Uh, Paul, the husband, heard her from two doors then, comes running to see the utter chaos around him. He sees Sam laying on the kitchen floor bleeding and all at once the authorities arrive and Sam is whisked away to hospital. She's in surgery for eight hours and he's brought to ICU on life support and he's in critical care. Coles, who drove him there, Mass, Ness, sorry, hears the shots and flees in the van while Roll Moat takes off on foot. Over to you, Kerry. Oh, yeah, so yeah, that brings us up to the beginning of the spree, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's just crazy. He's um, just rolled up so badly. There's a lot of, like, attention about Roll Moat, isn't there? And a mm-hmm. lot of the podcasts and stuff I've listened to, people are just trying to remember Chris Brown because he seems yeah. to be, like, the forgotten one. Yeah. Um, he was 29 years old, so he was pretty young. Bless him. Like you said, he was a karate instructor, and he was at, he weren't even from he weren't local. He just moved up there about a year before. He was from Berkshire, mm-hmm. and um, Sam had met him, like you say, maybe a week or two before when he was leafleting in the local area to drum up business for his karate mm-hmm. classes. So that's what he was doing. There. He was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, met the wrong girl. Bless him. Did you hear what him and um, Ness did? They was cruising to look for his dojo about 10 o'clock at night because mm. he was going to go in there. Who's at a dojo at 10 o'clock at night? <laughs> Someone who's very dedicated yeah. to the uh, karate. Karate. <laughs> yeah. But that's how unhinged he's coming across, isn't it? That he's just trying mm. to move heaven and earth to get at this Chris. Yeah, it, exactly. So, um, so yeah, that gun that he'd been that he'd managed to get hold of, he had, it was a son of shotgun. And Romo had, um, he tampered with the ammunition. He'd added pieces of shrapnel, like mm-hmm. little fishing weights to the pellets to make it much worse, like the impact of the bullets mm-hmm. much worse than what they would be. <clears throat> Didn't he go on to say that he'd done it because he did, wanted to maim Sam mm. so badly that I, th- I believe that yeah. no one else would go nearer? Possibly. I'm not sure because he, yeah, I don't know. Um, yes, so he... Um, he said to have, as he left the scene, mm-hmm. he said to one of his friends that he felt so much lighter and that he was full of beans. Such an answer. So, yeah, Sam was seriously injured. And once she recovered, she did manage to make an appeal on television to Mo asking him to turn himself over to the authorities for the sake of Chanel. Um, I w- the, uh, the documentary I watched, it had um, Samantha's gran on there, mm-hmm. her grandmother. She's called Agnes Hornsby mm-hmm. and she described Raul Moat as a bodybuilder who liked to wear cut off vests to show off his muscles oh what a douchebag she's smirking while she was saying it you could see she was thinking that exact same <laughs> yeah. thing yeah um, during their relationship she said there were instances of domestic violence um, and he would always blame Sam for being the problem <clears throat> so it was always her fault that she was agitating him so it's like a classic, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, and her nan also said that he would hit her. She would return home and then he would turn up and just persuade her to come back to him. And then a few months would go by and the cycle would repeat itself. Eventually, build up and build up. He'd give her a clout and she'd go back home mm-hmm. and then he'd get her to come back. So 
it's pretty classic, isn't it, really? Yeah. <clears throat> she also mentioned as well how he would always complain about police harassment. Yeah. And um, she said, she challenged him. She said, well, Raul, you must have done something for them to treat you like this. And he said, I never did anything. Of course he didn't. But he's always just like, he's always in the right. He never does anything wrong. The police are just out to get him because of no reason at all. Cause obviously it's ridiculous. That's what the police do, isn't it? They just yeah. harass people for no reason. So... Um, Obviously, they don't. <laughs> but um, they did harass him. Like, there was lots of people on the documentary I watched, eyewitnesses. Mm-hmm. They did harass him. They were constantly pulling him over mm-hmm. and stuff. And I don't know why. He was obviously known to them. Well, yeah, because of how fucking nasty he is. Mm. But they just couldn't get anything to stick towards him. So, <laughs> the following day, after he'd um, shot and killed Christopher Brown and very nearly killed his ex-partner, Samantha... He called the police and he calmly admitted to shooting Chris and Sam and he declared war on the Northumbria police, stating, you've taken too much off me over the years, I'm coming for you. Now, unfortunately, this warning didn't reach the police officers on the ground that night and within the hour of the phone call, so very shortly after he was called and said, I'm coming for you, mm-hmm. he carried out another brutal attack. So, the early hours of the 4th of July 2010... That evening, 42-year-old PC David Rathband, who was a traffic police officer, was on duty in his patrol car at the A1 junction in East Denton, Newcastle, and he was searching for Moat's known vehicle. Um, It was unknown at that point that Moat had dumped that vehicle and was now driving a black Lexus. So, um, you know, PC Rathband is looking for a car that is no longer even driving anyway. So while the police were hunting Moat, Moat was hunting them. So that evening, David Rathbone was unaware of the target that being a policeman had now made him. Moat drove past David in his police car. He pulled over and walked over to the marked police car. Looking up, David saw looming in his window the imposing figure of Moat and his last thought was, oh no, it's Royal Moat. This would be the last thing PC Rathbone ever saw as Moat raised the sawn-off shotgun and fired point-blank twice into David's face and then calmly walked away. Revenge exacted. In fact, actually, I'm not sure whether both shots went into his face. I think the first one did. And then as the policeman leant over to trigger the panic button, mm. he shot him again in oh the back. God. So the police officer was almost fatally injured. And although surgeons managed to save his life, he would spend the rest of his life blind. Chief Constable Sue Sims said that Sam's, said that Sam's dad said it was Raoul Moat. Oh yeah, so straight away Sam's Samantha's dad has said, "I know who the sh- who the shooter is. It's well mode." So the police wow. believed it was a domestic matter at that point. That weekend, she was in command, and she described how devastating it was when she got the news about David Rathband. Um, she must have felt so responsible because, you know, yeah. it was on her watch, kind of thing. Yeah. Leaving the scene, Moats disappeared into the night and phoned the police telling them he was responsible for the shooting of the policeman and that he was never going to stop and they would have to kill him to make him stop. The following day, the police held a TV conference where they spoke directly to Moats, telling him they were indeed taking him very seriously and that he had their full attention. And now began one of the biggest UK manhunts was underway. Um, the police then spent, I don't know, the next next sort of thing on their list was just to go around all of his list of acquaintances anywhere that he could possibly be they made many searches and arrests but to no avail they couldn't find him he'd gone to ground however late on the sunday afternoon reports came through that he'd taken two hostages 
26-year-old Carl Ness and 23-year-old Gurum Arwan. By now, the Black Lexus had been discovered abandoned in the rural town of Rothbury, 40 miles north of Newcastle in Northumberland, by a member of the public. So now the shift had gone from the big city to the sprawling countryside and forests of Northumbria. So I wanted to read, <coughs> I wanted to find a little bit about Rothbury. Mm-hmm. And um, so this is from the website Visit Rothbury. <coughs> Rothbury is at the heart of Northumberland's countryside. This traditional market town is a peaceful and picturesque haven, which is built of the same mellow sandstone as the rolling hills that surround it. Enjoy the scenery with many walking and cycling routes around the town and taking the beautiful river, river Coquette meandering through the centre. Due to its location, Rothbury is an ideal base for exploring Northumberland and all it has to offer, including Simonson Hills, the Cheviot Hills and Northumberland National Park. Once you've appreciated the landscape and the wildlife, you can always relax at the many shops, pubs and tea rooms on Rothbury's bustling high street and on sunny days enjoy watching the world go by on the village green. Browse the shops selling Northumbrian crafts from local artists. So that gave me quite a good picture of exactly the sort of place that this fugitive decided to hide yeah. out in. It sounds like the most beautiful, picture-perfect, cho- chocolate box English town you could pick. <laughs> um, but also, it sounds very rural. It's in the middle of a national park, which mm-hmm. is going to be vast. Yeah. This picturesque town was about to become the media centre of the world. Police poured into the area, both armed and unarmed police, involving over 500 officers. There was a cordon and general lockdown. The hostages, it turned out, were Moat's accomplices and this confession gave him the opportunity to slip away. Oh, sorry, not confession. The confusion of hostages had given him the opportunity to slip away into the surrounding countryside. While on the 6th of July, Ness and Owen tried to flee on foot along the road. Scenes of their capture can be seen online from helicopter footage. Um, I did watch it. It's quite interesting. You can see the two the two suspects running along the road, just a country road that doesn't even have a pavement. And a police car drives past them, confirms it's them. And then the police release a thunder flash at their feet. Um, I'd never heard or seen a thunder flash no, before. No, what is it? Have you? It looks a bit like um, like a tiny little bomb. Mm. (laughs) I mean it's not a bomb No, it didn't send them in hospital or anything but it stuns them so basically it landed at their feet clouds clouds of smoke and stuff come up and it stuns them just long enough for them to be taken safely into custody Wow. CCTV showed that they were never under any duress or were ever hostages and Ness had in fact driven Mo on the night he had killed Chris Brown and shot Samantha and Owen had been in the car when he had shot PC Rathbund CCTV had captured them all going shopping together, buying supplies. Says Ralmo and his friends with a trolley in a supermarket. And they're definitely not hostages. Um, They both wrote um, letters to their families as well, telling them, don't worry, we're safe, we're with our friend. Oh, it's ridiculous. (laughs) Which obviously got handed into the police. Ness had been Moet's contact on the outside and he had been the one who'd arranged the gun. The code name for this was a car with six wheels. So apparently... If you, if you ask for a car with six wheels when you're in prison, it means you want a gun and ammo. <laughs> really? Apparently so. That's what it meant that day. Um, on the 7th of July, the manhunt is still in full swing and during a search they found a message from Moat at an abandoned campsite that they'd found. So he'd left behind a dictaphone and on it he said he'd been following the media coverage and he was getting very agitated by the way that he was being portrayed 
and that for every lie told about him by the media, he would shoot an innocent member of the public. Now, up until now, Moat had only insisted Moat had insisted he would only ever harm people that were on his hit list, um, which were the people he felt had wronged him, which were mainly the police. But now, oh, and obviously Samantha mm-hmm. and her family, I think, mm-hmm. were on this hit list. But now he declared war on the general public. And the police felt compelled to ask the media for a blackout until Moat had been caught. Because it's like, fucking hell, if someone hurts his feelings, someone's going to die here. Yeah. Um, very, they took that threat ridiculously seriously, and you quite rightly would, because they know he's still armed and dangerous. Moat was now on foot in the countryside and forests surrounding Rothbury, which was a place that he was very familiar with. Um, he'd been on holiday there quite a number of times, and he... An ex-girlfriend of his told the police that he used to go fishing there quite often as well. So he was very familiar with it. Um, So he seemed to be well equipped to cope with camping out in the wild, which ties up with what you said about his young, like his young life. Mm -hmm. You said, like his brother said he was very outdoors, wasn't he? He was constantly out and about. So it seems like he he was um, quite an expert at that kind of thing. The police were approached by televisions, Ramirez. (laughs) Who also happens to be a tracking expert. Sorry, what was you going to say? No, when I see that, I thought of you. And he was invited to the scene to track for clues as to where Moat was. Um, I did read Raimi's biography, actually, and he does... There's a whole chapter on this section, actually. Um, He didn't find Royal Moat at all, but when they were out tracking, they had some sniffer dogs with them. Mm -hmm. And um, he believes that maybe they flushed him out because I think the next day he turned up, but they didn't find him. Wow. don't know how the, the dogs, for some reason, the dogs didn't respond to the scent. Um, there were eyewitness accounts from people in the town, including he, he held up a chip shop to rob some money from the chippy, and he was even seen walking along the main road by one of the reporters. Now, she said she was walking towards a man, so she's walking down the main high road mm-hmm. of this beautiful town, towards a man and the man's walking towards her and she thought to herself god that poor bloke he looks so much like Ralmo his life must be a misery this week and as she's met him and crossed paths with him she realised it was him she was like oh my god that was Ralmo oh so he's just walking down the high street so obviously she went and told the police but by the time they searched for him he disappeared there was a two mile exclusion zone set up by police but the area was still far and wide and extremely isolated with little scope for eyewitnesses um, there's like this, what is it acronym for like mm-hmm. when you're trying to hide out somewhere and it's bliss. So B is blending, L is low, so keep low, don't stand up too straight, keep low, mm-hmm. hunch down. I is irregular, so don't have regular patterns. S is small, keep yourself small, and S is secluded, so staying secluded. It reminds me of that TV program, Hunted. Have you ever seen it? Yeah, I've seen Hunted. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, they use CCTV for that, don't they? Yeah. So that's why they always end up going out into the country where there isn't any. So that's what he's done. So he's away from the CCTV. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think he was on the run for about three days. They couldn't find him for ages. And what it turns out was because they had all these massive drain um, facilities under the town where you could walk into them. Wow. So, and then they came up into the village so he could sort of like get in and out of the village underground using these tunnels. So that's how he was able to wow. get in and out of the um, village. Uh, see, as time moved on, the locals became more fearful of the crazed gunman and mm-hmm. it was believed he had returned to the village after dark to scavenge food. The villagers were instructed to stay home 
to lock their doors and to stay away from windows, which is quite right after what happened to Samantha. Terrifying. He shot her through the window, didn't he? So, on the 9th of July, the morning, um, a member of the public informed police that Moat had been spotted on the riverbank, and so began the infamous siege. This siege unfolded on live television across the world. <clears throat> police negotiators set up a base a few yards from the desperate man, and they began trying to persuade him to safely hand himself in. All of this was played out live in front of the world media, and the spectacle played out minute by minute on the global 24-hour news channels. Around this point, things took a bizarre bizarre turn when Gaza turned up. Um, Gaza, for those of you who don't know, used to be a really famous England footballer. I think he played for Tottenham and then he played for England in the 90s. He was, he was one of the most famous people in the country. And he's also from Newcastle. He's a Geordie. So um, I watched a little interview with Gaza and he was asked about why he did this. And he said he, he thought he knew him. He said he'd had 15 lines of cocaine <laughs> and he was watching the live news footage Sorry. and he went, oh, it's Morty. It's Morty from all the clubs up in Newcastle. Like, oh, <coughs> oh, damn. So, um, Bless him. So, yeah, he just thought... So, he, anyway, so Gaz has turned up with a bucket of KFC, a couple of fishing rods, a couple of cans of lager and a blanket because he thought, oh, Morty, he'll be hungry, he'll be tired. So he was hoping to go and talk to him and get him... Say, like, if you could turn yourself in, lad, you can have this bucket of chicken and a can of lager and a blanket. <laughs> Sorry, it's not funny. So he um, he got a cab to the scene of the yeah. crime where this is all unfolding. And the cabbie just dropped him off and legged it. He was like, I'm not hanging around while this man's going mental with a gun. And obviously the police went, Gaza, no, you're not going to go and talk to him. We can't let you go and talk to him. So Gaza then went home and apparently he woke up the next morning remember a thing about it oh no and then he's looking on his phone there's like loads of messages with people like Gazza what have you done <laughs> why did you go and try and talk to uh, well, oh. Mo on the riverbank so anyway um, this is just like one of the weird turns of events of this case it's quite strange isn't it's it crazy so Mo was threatening to turn the gun on himself the whole time he's there he's kneeling he's on his knees with the gun pointing to his head and six hours into negotiations, the mood suddenly changed. Uh, eyewitnesses said they could hear shouting and raised voices and mm -hmm. stuff. Suddenly, the, the whole atmosphere changed with Mo intent on ending his life. So as a last result, the police shot him with a taser. And at 1.15am, he succeeded in shooting himself and was pronounced dead on arrival at the hospital. And that was the end of that. Wow. So... Um, a little bit of aftermath. Um, the following year, uh, Ness, his two accomplices, Ness and Owen, they are convicted of the attempted murder of PC Rathbund and Ness is convicted of the murder of Chris Brown. Wow. I mean, they didn't they didn't kill anybody, but they were the getaway drivers yeah. for both of those crimes. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Ness was given a life sentence, which I think was like 40 years or something, mm -hmm. and Owen, 20 years. It's a lot, isn't it? It is. It is. Uh, Pacey Rathburns, he did recover, but he could never, he threw him, he, he was a dad, he had two kids, um, but he could never quite get to grips with life as a blind person. Um, he tried, he set up a charity, him and his brother, and they did charity work and things like that, mm -hmm. and um, during this charity work he met a survivor from the 7-7 terror attacks mm. and had an affair with her, oh. and um, his wife left him, and not long after he killed himself. Oh, God. So his wife, Kath, walked out on him and then he hung himself. 
wow. not long later. So, yeah, I mean, it must be, I can't imagine how difficult it must be to carry on your life after you've gone blind. No, I, I was mean, thinking that. It's pretty, uh, it must be very, very difficult. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, Sam, Samantha, so she, the shotgun that he, you know, mm-hmm. it, the round, it pierced her arm, then it hit her liver, stomach and pancreas, causing life-threatening injuries. She said that she survived, she only survived the attack because her left arm took the full force of shots from Moat's sonoff weapon. Um, she said, my arm ended up in front of me as a block. So if she hadn't have had her arm in front of her tummy, she probably would have mm-hmm. been killed as well. Um, she now has tattoos to cover the scars, including a cross in memory of Christopher. Uh, she says she still stuff, suffers PTSD and has flashbacks of that night. Oh, bless and her. she said she can completely relate with David Rathburn because she f- she's had plenty of suicidal thoughts since that night. But she because she's got Chanel, she says she just keeps going for Chanel. Oh um, bless her. So yeah, it carries on and on really. I, I think the guy who owned the company that um, issued the tasers, he took his own life. Um, the tasers were not licensed to be used. And his company was getting into quite a lot of trouble about it, and he took his own life as well. Wow. So there was a huge knock-on effect from the whole set of circumstances, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that brings us to the end of the case of Royal Moat, which was the UK's biggest ever manhunt. Yeah. Well, well yeah. there we go. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you for listening, everybody. Yeah. We yeah. hope you've enjoyed your episode. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you. Take care. Bye.